Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this is a special episode of our program. As you may know from following our podcast feed, I've recorded a number of conversations with friends around the world during the past few weeks. While I've been at home during social isolation, I spoke with folks in Venezuela and Egypt and France and Ghana. It's been really a wonderful and inspiring time to catch up with folks that I don't talk to on a regular basis, but I appreciate what they're doing and what they're creating in the world. One of those people is my friend Jason Evans, who's with the Episcopal Diocese down in Houston, Texas. Uh, I had intended to include his conversation as part of the Around the World episode, but we just touched on so many things that I wanted to basically present it in almost uncut form. Jason is one of these people that I respect so much for his organizational skill and the joy and wisdom that he brings drawing on the depth of his Christian tradition. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Jason Evans. Can you hear me? Hey, how's it going, buddy? (laughs) Good to see you. How you doing? Oh, man, it's uh, my wife and my daughter and I, we just came back from a walk. It's a beautiful day outside, but feels like uh, we've got some Infinity War vibes out there, man. It feels like post-snap America. <laughs> right? It's, what, this is wild. This yeah. is so wild. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. It's really, is it the same there in Houston? Um, probably not as much because people here don't actually watch legitimate news as often. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> um, and they kind of have this, like, uh, you know, my, my cowboy boots and my F-150 will save me yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just you just stomp on it like a, like a, exactly. like, like a rat. Don't shred on me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, rattlesnake. Um, but it is a lot slower. So, for example, the other night, we live we live just a couple blocks away from a pretty busy street that has, you know, restaurants and bars and stuff on it. And... Uh, we were literally able to like walk on the street at 11 o'clock at night the other night mm. just because there's just nobody wow. uh, out. So it's getting, people are starting to get, uh, get the drift, but I'm often shocked at what I will see people continuing to do. Is it is it the same in the, in the church scenes that you're a part of down there? Are people taking it seriously or are they, are they, uh, they, they saying, you know, our, our, Congregation will not be bowed by this coronavirus, that whole perspective. I have, I mean, having come out of the evangelical, more fundamentalist expressions in my youth, I do know, I I still have relationships with people and connections to organizations and congregations that are of that ilk. And you see, you see elements of that, but uh, the connect, the congregations that I am directly connected to um, especially Episcopalians, there, there's none of that kind of brazen disregard mm-hmm. for caution. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody realizes that this is our social responsibility right now, yeah. um, and is is taking precautions. Um, yeah. Some more extreme than others, um, but everybody is taking way more precaution than. Um, and, and it's been a it's been a welcome it's been a good assuring thing to see happen. Is it a uh, is it a top down thing? Like, is it? I mean, you're getting communications from the um, the diocesan leadership. 
Absolutely. I mean, that is definitely part of the charism of um, of the tradition is to to uh, abide by the direction of your spiritual leadership, mm-hmm. and and so people were already. Um, taking precaution and making decisions, but also eager to hear from their bishop. And uh, the, the bishop issued a pretty early uh, direction to everybody that this is what I am, am recommending to you to do. These are the things I am directing you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that has continued week to week. He has been issuing directions to folks to, to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, and, and does it does it just basically fall along the lines of like here's the CDC website you know go do what they say we need to you know abide by the best scientific information that we have or is is there other um, uh, I, I guess moral guidance that's also sprinkled in there? Um, all of the above. Mm-hmm. There's there's been here are here are what we know from the uh, scientific and political authorities and what they're uh, what they're asking of us and um, you know so the social distancing closing facilities sanitization um, uh, th- those types of directions adopted those early on um, but and then also we we started so it's, it's now what's the but so today marks the third Friday so yeah so three Fridays ago he called on everybody. He closed our offices mm. and and encouraged all congregations to go online. Mm-hmm. Said, Don't meet unless you are a congregation of ten or less people, people gathered <laughs> and can stand six feet apart from each other in your space mm. um, or in the open air outside of your space. Do not gather. Mm. Um, gather gather virtually instead. Um, and so so that so that was how kind of he he directed us as far as abiding by guidelines and even a little bit more stringent because at that point, especially in the state of Texas, there wasn't a whole lot of stringent guidelines whatsoever. Um, since, and, and included in that though too was, you know, theologically like this is what's going on. Um, this is how we perceive it, understand what is going on here and here's what we don't, we don't say, we mm-hmm. don't think these things. Um, can, can you share what some well, of that is? Yeah, I would say like in, 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 in Brief that this is not an absence of God, uh, but a reminder of the mystery of God. Mm. Um, so uh, we are, you know, church is not canceled. The church still <laughs> gathers mysteriously um, mm-hmm. and strangely, but virtually. Mm. We're not what the church, but we are the church is God's people, and we will still gather. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the, and also liturgical direction, which has theology inter mingled with it, but, um, you know, that there are elements of our worship that do require tangible physical presence with each other, and right. we're not going to pretend to do those things virtually, because mm-hmm. that's important, the kind of um, flesh and blood uh, pieces of that, so things like Eucharist and such, we're not going to do that virtually, where, you know, a, a parishioner will put their their glass of wine and piece of bread up to the screen and and have someone you know, bless it over the, through through the internet. We're not going to do those types of things. Uh-huh. Um, but also that we're not going to do uh, drive-by Eucharist either. And that is both for um, health reasons, but that's also because it conveys a kind of a consumer uh, theology, a marketplace theology that we do not want to 
prescribed to. That's referencing that, that Catholic priest that I think was in a parking lot, you know, with people just doing pull-up. Yeah, he um, he didn't refer directly to that. There have been Episcopalians that have done the exact same thing, and oh, there were really? some that okay. were going to try to do it. And um, my, my comment is, like, um, my response to you doing that is you're fucking like, he had a bit more nuanced, like, response to that, which was... Yeah, that's, that's not, not an official thing. church statement well, that, that you're quoting official, right like, there. You're a moron. Like, what are you thinking? Um, but, yeah, he, so he's given some direction about how we will do worship, uh, what we... And, and, and also tried to provide some pastoral... Um, and, and others have been doing with this with their congregations and in smaller collections of, of, of congregational leaders and mission leaders. Um to you know, say that you know, with our our spirituality, there are there is a deep and meaningful piece of what Easter is, and we we cannot actually exercise our rituals the way we would on any other year because of physical separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think pastorally and, and uh, from a council, spiritual council uh, perspective, there's been a lot of talk about um, you know when we gather again, this is what this will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. we will not do these things. Um, so all of Holy Week has a lot of things that have physical and tangible pieces to it that um, we just aren't going to try to pretend to do. We're, we're just, uh, or do from a distance. So like uh, the Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, uh, you know, people process with palm branches. Right. Um, and uh, those palms are then held until the following year and are uh, burned and then made into the ashes for Ash Wednesday, so which commences the Lent for the following year. And we will, you know, hopefully we'll be able to next Ash Wednesday be able to make ashes, but we're not going to have, we're not going to, you know, any church that has gathered or purchased palm branches, we're not going to go home, home to home and distribute those palm mm-hmm, branches mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. potentially spread something. Well, I'm I'm curious. You know, you mentioned that you're you've got uh, connections with friends from from the you know church culture of your youth and everything. So, what's the what's the conversation like in those circles? What have you been hearing from from folks um, who have a more evangelical bent? Yeah, um, I think it was probably a delay from what what uh, a more Ironically, a more conservative translation of what was going on in the world. Mm. Uh, more liberal denominations uh, took that more conservative approach. More conservative theologically, uh, Christian traditions took a more liberal approach. And so you had about a week to two week lag. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I had, I know somebody that's a mega church pastor, and uh, he um, has a small like jacuzzi sized pool that is a part of their worship space at the front of what would a stage would be or an altar. Um, and they do, uh, baptisms. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, the week that we closed down, they did, um, uh, they did, they did full immersion baptisms of several people, mm. um, and worship. And, uh, and, there were a lot of churches that did stuff of that nature and made, you know, brazen claims about how, you know, coronavirus isn't going to stop us from being the church or following Jesus mm-hmm. or something of this nature. So, the, I mean, the state, so the statements were, I mean, directly referencing this is Absolutely. us standing our ground. Absolutely. We, we are, we have faith. The reaction, I think, 
mostly online to that was so strong you saw them pick up the pace fast and pivot and move towards slowing down services and going online mm. um, and, uh, so at this point the people that are holding fast to that type of claim are from your perspective in in the more uh, radical minority, mi minority? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know of any churches at this juncture that are actually meeting in person. I'm mm -hmm. sure there are, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I don't have a relationship with congregations mm -hmm. that are that are meeting in person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that 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 said, uh, especially for larger churches that have like lots of musicians that accompany the music they play on Sunday morning right. and sing together with, um, they are still you know having groups of. I mean, I'm assuming they're trying to keep it to like that, that number of 10 or below mm -hmm. are gathering to then live stream or record a worship experience that is then broadcasted. Mm -hmm. um, and and one of Episcopalians are doing that too. It's the time lag between between Zoom, you know, that you you sort of get out of sync with your, with your, your melodies. I think it's a little bit harder <laughs> to do that virtually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I think you could spend time really like reflecting on what the meaning of some of this. But for example, um, I, I've been over the last two weeks. I've been leading online prayer at noon with people, mm. and uh, from across our diocese, and just having an opportunity, especially for those that are starting new congregations, to check in and with each other and pray. And the first few couple times that we did that, I said, "Please mute yourself." And, and that really disappointed people, and that was their response, was that it's, it's a bummer to not hear each other. But I mm. knew from previous experiences, the cacophony of that was just <laughs> so right, hard right. on my brain. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's uh, that tension between the technical and the spiritual. You know, yeah. what is the meaning behind, please mute yourself? But the thing, here's the thing that I think is interesting, and especially in the Episcopal, not in the Episcopal Church necessarily, but in, in, in Protestant um, tradition, Christian traditions, as well as probably Roman and Orthodox traditions as well, um, there is such a bent, particularly in more low church Protestant traditions, towards a sense of professionalism that we have also often lost the importance of our practices being communal. Mm. And I think what a lot of Christian traditions are relearning right now is the importance of the communal um, over and above our commitment to a certain kind of quality and mm -hmm. um, a demonstration of professionalism or excellence. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing, especially for our, our, our brothers and sisters in the, the Christian church that really can get caught up in kind of a commercialism of our faith. Mm -hmm. um, to be reminded that, you know, it, it doesn't matter how great it is, if it's not us, together right now in this moment in particular then it's not the church it's mm. not it's not my faith and mm. so um so every day at noon when we gather to pray i say let us pray and i begin and then everybody chimes in and sings their or, or uh reads their parts mm. um on my slide deck and it's just blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just all over the place and you just <laughs> what we're the funny thing is is that we're finding a new a new kind of meter like most liturgies as you you probably know this like all worship expressions have a certain meter and tempo to it, sure. and you can kind of, kind of tell when people come from different parts.
parts of that tradition, the different meter on certain words that everybody says in that tradition in prayers or worship experiences of some kind. Um, fascinating to me is that every I, as I listen and pray with different groups at different times, that when I'm not leading is everybody's finding a new kind of meter. Mm. It's not the same that it was. And part of it is because is you have to make up for that 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 virtual lag, right? right? right. <laughs> everybody to get done with that phrase in the Lord's Prayer before you go to the next one, right. which was a different meter than and, and pausing space, spacing between phrases that you would have used if you were all in one space. Yeah, so that's I, I, I agree. I, I had that experience um, with the Baha'i community as well, where we had in that in that first those first couple of days after we had a um, uh, you know the the request that that people start to self-isolate that that we had the the close of our fasting period it's a 19-day fasting period that runs through the beginning of March and and usually at the end of that in, well during it people like to get together and break fast together as you would you know during during Ramadan or after Yom Kippur what have you you know it's it's a celebratory time um, d even during during the fasting period but um, but obviously at the end of the fasting period it's 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 an even bigger celebration it's uh, the, the holiday of Nauru's the spring equinox you know first day of spring so this is the beginning of the Baha'i New Year so people are are really really ready for that for that uh, expression of excitement and celebration and togetherness as as we start on this new year together and and this year we had to do that all virtually right we had to have our community gatherings virtually and it was interesting because we had a um, what's called a feast which is our our uh, local community gathering that either happens um, as a district-wide event um, at the beginning of each Baha'i month or it's um, on a neighborhood level and the neighborhood ones understandably depending on where you are in the city you know it, it may just be a handful of people that are in that neighborhood that are that are gathering this one I think perhaps because people were eager to see how this new thing was going to work out online really showed up and we had a dramatic increase in the number of people that that were attending that feast and so it was a really beautiful thing for us to be there everybody was at the end of the fast they were all excited and everything but they um, there was also like you were saying that that technological hurdle to get over to say wait are you reading first or am I reading first and you know we realized that we need rather than it just being sort of an open time for for prayer my recommendation was actually maybe we need to take stack you know for a second here and you know say okay you're going first you're going second you're going third and and not necessarily interrupt the flow of that spirit but have it up there on on the screen a list of okay Jason's going first and then Jack's going after him because <laughs> otherwise yeah. there were these big gaps yeah. of like oh, I'm gonna wait are you uh, uh, <laughs> and it kills I, the real yeah. spiritual vibe yeah we've we have found it critical to um, to use the practice of mutual invitation um, I don't know if that's something that you, that you all have used tell me about that it's, what's that it, it's it's a real simple practice it's um, it, it's it's that you know I I share and then I say I I invite you to share and you say thanks Jason and then uh, you you share and then you invite oh. the next person. 
So calling yeah. uh, calling people out by name to to yeah. to keep to keep it going to the next person. Yeah, but that invitation piece yeah. really have been an important part of it because you know you don't want people to feel as if they have to if they don't feel comfortable sharing. Oh, I see. So so so, um, so I I'm I'm you you say you know I I, I invite you to share and I say. I'm good. I'm gonna invite. I'm gonna pass. Yeah, I'm gonna pass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to steal that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's used by lots of different groups, and, but it's been very helpful in this, in this format for us to ensure that um, that people know. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that uh, I'm also just uh, just facilitation on these things has just heightened like. The, the role of the facilitator. So one of the things that we've found really important in the midday group that I, I run is, depending on people's anxiety level, they either shut down and get quieter, or they get mm. uh, they get more verbal. Um, and so the, but you you know when people are anxious, they need that valve to be let off. You don't want to shame them if if they don't have, especially if they're isolated, they need to be able to be heard. And so um, you don't want to shame them into not sharing because that's how, they need that for a healthy reason, but they also need to be aware of that they are in a communal exper- expression at the moment. And so, I found myself frequently saying, "Can we hear from somebody who hasn't shared yet?" Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really key, right? Because people, you know, depending on what their connection is, you know, on the technology side, they may be on their phone, they may be on a laptop, they may be in a place where they. You know, they're they're totally okay to to be seen, or maybe they feel more comfortable just being visually anonymous. You know, and just having it be audio only. Um, and and so yeah, I, I I can imagine that that certain folks can drift even further to the periphery if they are, especially if they're. I mean, frankly in a more marginal position to begin with, right? That they, they live with other people, they're trying to just sort of, you know, they really need this time together, but they can't quiet the kids that are in the house, they live in a studio or a very small place, you know, or they feel sort of uh, reluctant to present their living space to, to the world, you know. Um, that yeah, it's, it seems like that would be an important part of facilitating that to really call on those voices and let them know that they're recognized, that they're seen in that space, um, and invite them to participate just as we are the people who are, you know, quote unquote, maybe more active or or at least able to be more active. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Are, how are you guys dealing with 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 that question of access in your in your community um, in terms of in terms of you know inter- even having internet at home and and reliable connections data and so forth? Yeah, some of our communities do have a high level of low income folks, um, refugees and immigrants, and so trying to figure out how to ensure that they're participating. It's been it's, we're still figuring it out. I think is the best thing to say as to how do we we deal with this. So the clerics that are um, over those communities, we try to you know, be empathetic and give them some ways of engaging that still keep them safe. So for example, we said if you're going to go to one of those homes because they cannot participate in Facebook Live or what have you because they don't have internet access or devices that they could do that, um, if you're going to go by their house and remind them that the community loves them and is praying with them and for them um you know 
stay at, stand at a glass door, stand at a window, mm. you know, and you know, put your hand to the window um, with your glove, <laughs> and yeah. um, and pray for them. Ask them to put their hand to the window and pray with them. Um, but but you need to practice social distancing. And one of our congregation that has a high level of uh, Sudanese uh, immigrants and refugees. Um, we have we have given out some iPads that have cell service on them, and so mm. it's it's not expensive to add that to a phone plan, um, and ensures. And that wasn't so much about connection with the faith community as it was about making sure kids could do their schooling in those oh, for sure. Um We're also trying to figure out food security. School districts in Texas are abysmally disorganized and underfunded, and just just. I mean, you come from the, the public school system in like a place like D.C. or surrounding counties of Maryland that just really have their shit together and you come here and it's like the Stone Ages. It's crazy. And so yeah. the school district had committed to their feeding programs and uh, released a schedule. That schedule got you know widely distributed and then they realized they just were not organized well enough to make sure they were doing it safely. And so yeah. they just shut it down completely. Oh, wow. And so for our low-income parishioners and members of our communities, um, uh, that was how they were going to feed their kids. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so that has been, that is at least for a few of, some of us on our diocesan staff has been, our priority has been, you know, I, I feel like we have given appropriate direction to the clerics to understand how to minister to their people that don't have access to the internet and cannot gather. Um, but how are we going to make sure kids stay on track in those mm -hmm. households? Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure they're fed? So, um, you know, we had one of our faith communities distributed over 20,000 pounds of food mm. um, and drive-through grocery process that they have made sure is a very safe process. Um, and uh, so we're doing things like that to try to supplement. We have another group that's doing something very similar in a different part of the diocese. But we're, we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's, um, but, you know, the interesting thing is those clerics of those kinds of communities, though, are the bravest, the most faithful, um, and um, wonderful, generous, and kind, and what I would say, Christ-like people. And, and um, they understand the risks they may have to take to, to do. I mean, these are the kinds of guys that would have gone to like leper colonies like, and, and ministered to them. So they're 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 just incredible people. And so. I feel like my job, because at least a handful of those folks are people that directly re uh, report to me, is just to try to help them make sure that they are doing what they feel compelled to do um, while ensuring they protect their own families, for yeah. example. Mm -hmm. like I don't want them to bring something home. And so, in a few cases, I've had to talk to like their, what we call a vestry, which is the body of lay leadership that works with a cleric in a particular congregation to lead that community and I've had to talk to their vestry leadership to say I need you to help me help hold yeah. them accountable to mm -hmm. like if they're going to go out to abide by these practices um, the gloves the distancing um, you know they're not walking into spaces and that they shouldn't and stuff like that so mm -hmm. it's it's been interesting yeah <laughs> and are still these, trying to figure out are these um leaders themselves members of the communities that they're serving like do they live and come yes. from those groups mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 um 
one one person is a former uh, well is, is was a former Roman Catholic priest that uh, is from originally from Colombia um, and works with a lot of Colombian immigrants to the United States and lives in that community. Another person that comes to mind is um, a, a, a he is a, he was a, one of the original Lost Boys of Sudan that mm-hmm. showed up in the United States 25 years ago, whenever that was. Um, and uh, and he lives within that community with his family, um, and that's the primary uh, group of people that he serves is Sudanese immigrants, mm. oh. Sudanese Americans. Cool. So, what about for your own family? What are you, how are you guys uh, working through all this? How are the kids doing with the with the new situation? Uh, they're pretty good. Um, I mean, it's a big adjustment. You know, mm-hmm. It's only you know we're only heading into week. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. um, we went ahead and put together our own plan and, and started a schedule so everybody has pandemic school that starts at 9.30 on you know, Monday morning um, and, uh, and there's just a variety of tools that we've, we're using our youngest who's 10 he's set up with Khan Academy and so yeah. he's doing math with them and then he, we, signed, we found a, a free coding school um, and so he's he's coding on another platform. Um, he has reading time every day. He has PE with his teenage brother um, and art class with one, any number of us. There's people that I'll do. I'm, I'm teaching him how to play the drums. And my wife is teaching him how to sew. And my daughter, who is a really accomplished artist and was planning to go to college in the fall to study art, um, she's doing art with him on a few days a week. And um, then we have like the grandparents that are going to FaceTime and, and read to him and uh, he can read to them. And so we've we've got a schedule built out. He's got chores. Everybody's got chores that are expected to be done every time of day. We used mm. to be pretty lenient on that. Like it was just like, here are your chores for the week. You get them done when you get them done. Right. Um, and now it's like, well, this happens on Monday, this happens on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. Um, everybody's got their one day of laundry. So they have the washing machine to <laughs> themselves all day. Um, so. So yeah, I feel like I feel like we realize we're not going to be able to do our work if we don't have some kind of rhythm and routine for them that they aren't just unsupervised and um, and, and have some kind of rhythm. And that'll be good for their psyche, I think, too, to just have something to do to keep them on track. And I feel like they're productive and contributing in some way. So they're helping each other in different ways. Yeah. They're helping the whole family together. And then every day they can, you know, we have a kind of a check-in point. We say, like, oh, what did you, what did you do today? And they mm-hmm. can say, like, well, I did this, I did this. And we can be like, Great, awesome. What's your plan for tomorrow? And right. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a good, good handle on it, and everybody's learning a lot through the process. Google spreadsheets, man. <laughs> no, get out of here. Is that what you guys are doing with the family? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We put, we made everybody a spreadsheet. And they have check boxes, so they know. They, and then there's a. There's, there's categories. They, they each have their own sheet, and they, there's categories throughout the day, different different time slots. But they can put in the specifics. So, like, you know, they can say what book they're reading during the reading hour or uh, the chores <laughs> they finish or whatever. And then there's a column that's a checkbox, and so you can mark that you actually did it. So you fill it out at the beginning of the day, then you sit down with us and go through it and say what you did and check it off. Wow. We even have a meditation you know, time. Our the, youngest is teaching you know, his bleeding meditation. Wow. <laughs> All right. See, critically so, yeah. important. And I converted this corner of my closet into my little office space. And so I'm on Zoom and phone calls pretty much most of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
her wife is in the process of closing the coffee shop she manages, and so mm. that's that's been hard. Because of this? In. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, they 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 went to um, drive in and, and walk in and only pick up, and then uh, they went to drive in only. I don't have a drive in, but they've been, mm-hmm. you know they set up a tent outside of the coffee house, and then. Um, Tomorrow they will officially close the doors for the mm. foreseeable future. Mm. So, um, so last night they had the big phone call with everybody to be like, "Here's the plan." Um, but they and it's a non it's a nonprofit coffee house. They raise uh, money and awareness around human trafficking, and so they could, they will continue to run like coffee bean sales and such online, mm-hmm. um, and continue to try, right, try to raise money for that work, but. Uh, without the income stream of the uh, cafe, they, they can't keep the 20 people on staff that will work in that shop. But they've done really well in the last two quarters um, and financially, and so they're going to be able to keep people paid for a, a little while okay. until they kind of see what happens next. So they can kind of get their base salary. They obviously won't be getting their tips, but they'll, they'll get their base salary for salary for a few weeks, and then and then they'll have to reconvene and decide mm-hmm. what they're going to do. So the yeah. board. The board's been pretty active in trying to, well, I, I shouldn't say they've been so active. They have been guided toward being active on helping think out uh, how, to, how to handle this. So, yeah, I mean, you? this is, well, this is, yeah, this is the, the big thing that I, I think folks are, are, are reckoning with is, is how, whether or not you get sick yourself or your parents get sick, or, you know, you know somebody in your community who's affected it's going to have such a devastating toll on all these businesses. I mean, DC has so many shops that I can imagine it's it's gonna it's gonna look like a ghost town when things come back to normal because so many so many folks are just going to have to fold. And it's and it's hard enough trying to keep a restaurant or a cafe open in D.C. with the rents being what they are and the thin margins, you know, where you're trying to create a quality product and, a, and, and an experience that people want to come back to and support all the time. Um, but, but then to be hit with, you know, with this, where you're, you know, your sales are going down 90%, you know, in, in suddenly in a week or whatever the case is. It's, it, there was a prominent um, improv club that I think it was like three days into this whole situation, this spot that has all these heavy hitters that come through there, you know, they said, we've got, we've got to close doors. We're firing 50 people or something that are on staff. And, and I just thought, my God, you know, how, how close are they to that razor's edge every month? You know, and that's a well-established institution that's got a reputation and, 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 and people coming through every month. So, you know, yeah. much more than, you know, for a small coffee shop or whatever the case may be that, that's just been open for a year or two years and is really trying to pick up some steam and has some good support in the neighborhood or whatever and then gets walloped, you know, with this. Yeah, yeah, my, my teenage son had started working for an ice cream shop that um, 
was opened up by some New Zealand expats that had just recently moved here. But I mean, they hadn't even been open for a year, and yeah. the only they were a small operation, um, four employees and the two owners. And um, I mean, to have you know put all the capital forward to open a place like that, and yeah. then to have this happen, you know, less than a year into your operation, mm. like I. Of course, you know, we, we talked to him about it, like, you know, some people need this job, you don't need, need this job, so please reach out to your boss and tell them, like, don't give me hours, give hours to people that need it until you close, and, and, uh, oh, and yeah. they did, and they did, but, um, but there's, I just don't think there's any way they could possibly be open after being closed this long and having no revenue coming in, right. so, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the, and the, you know, and that was like the challenge for for Brooke was, I mean, the, the hourly employees. This is a big deal, you know. And so sure. at the same time, they don't want to expose people, and they can't control what employees do when they're not there. And they can't right. control what people do when they're not there picking up their coffee. But um, <clears throat> just knowing the, the economic burden that was going to impose on people, they they were trying to figure out how to safely do it for as long as possible. Um, and then they just kind of realized, like, this is insane. Like, mm. we can't, we can't do this. Mm. Um, so, hopefully, like the the economic stimulus bill will help out some of some small businesses. I I feel better about it than I did when the conversation started. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but we'll, uh, I guess, we'll just see. It must be an interesting process to be in this Lenten period for you because there's so much around sacrifice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what are, what's that conversation like, either within your family or, or for yourself? Um, I mean, <clears throat> the silver lining of all of this is, is that our household is a household of introverts that really enjoy each other's company. Mm. And like, the, the people that really feed our souls are the other four people in the house. And so, um, we... I mean, it's only a few weeks in, but um, we're not killing each other yet. We're actually enjoying it. We are happy to go sit on the couch next to somebody and not have to have a conversation, but just be in each other's company and read or write or um, you know work on painting and whatever. Um, and so, um, uh, for us, I think you know the recognition that um, you know there will be there will be things that we cannot have and there will be things that we can have. Is, 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 it's kind of this like two-sided sword like there's good things that have come of this already and then there's things that you know are, are we're letting go but I think we also try to make sure that everybody in our home at least is rec- recognizes that the, the, the privileges that we have are, are immense and that um, the fact that mom and dad are salaried and we can rely on a certain level of income to come in mm. um the fact that we have a roof over our heads and uh, food in our cupboard. And so I think our kids are pretty aware that we're fortunate in, in this. So we may not have aches for a while, but we're okay. Like we have, we have, we have rice and beans for ages. So we'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, I think for like most of the folks, there's been kind of this half joking, you know, thing that uh, I'm giving up Lent for Lent, that <laughs> this, this is causing me to give up so much, like giving up being with the people that I'm used to being with, um, you know, being 
you know, any variety of income or, or mm-hmm. any number of different things. And some people have said, like, I this is this quarantine is making me give up already things that. Uh, so I'm, I'm going back to chocolate, or I'm going back to coffee, or, mm. or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, I think people have at least in our tribes around us, they're, they've been gracious with themselves around it, you know, and understanding. But but I think it's a helpful reminder of, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is good that's going to come out of this. Do think that there is going to be massive tragedy, but I do think I, I, I hope maybe is what I should say. I do hope we have we learn about the importance to practice margin and abstinence of certain things and the gift that that is actually to each other and to the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, man, yeah, I hope. Well, it's. You know, in, in, in some ways, it's, it's just an extension of the rest of our lives, right? That, that you know, we go through these periods of crisis and victory and, and, and tragedy and, and resolution to that. And, and um, it's a very dramatic episode, and obviously it's one that the whole world is, is feeling together. So hopefully there's, there's a lesson with that that we can carry when when things become more comfortable, we don't forget that feeling of of oneness and connection, you know, and and interconnectivity and and um, yeah, re- just just uh, mutual responsibility, right? Because that's the only way we're going to get through this thing. Absolutely, I hope we care for each other a lot more than we have demonstrated over the last few years. You know, kind of as a society. Appreciate things like healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Now, exactly. Realizing that the sickest one of us is uh, impacts all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Just there's, the list just goes on and on. And yeah. We appreciate local businesses and what they contribute to our livelihood and the importance of all the infrastructure that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess depending on how it goes with you and your kids, <laughs> the next couple of weeks it'll be a litmus test, I guess, for the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. Same for you, man. I mean, we'll, we will see what we learn through all of this. But yeah. I'm grateful you're with your loved ones. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I'm glad you guys are safe and, and healthy, and I hope you remain so. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful that you um, had some time this morning to, to check in. Absolutely. It's been really a, good to see your face and hear your voice. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun part of this is is taking the time to reach out to folks and collect those stories and hear how how folks are are doing and hopefully, you know, through this platform that we've got um, with our show to you know push them out there and and help inspire folks. Um, good. That's cool. Hang in there, okay. All right, brother. Be well. Have a great day and a, and a happy care. Easter. If I don't talk to you before then. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jason Evans. You can find him 
on most online platforms at Digital Jason Evans. You can also find his podcast, A New Thing, wherever you find quality podcasts. If you want more information about our podcast, you can find all of our previous episodes in this podcast feed. You can find us on social media at interfaithish. You can write us at interfaithish at gmail.com. Our listener line, 202-599-2953. Leave us a message about the interfaith ish you wish to dish. I'm going to probably be releasing these special edition shows whenever I can, since we are adapting and learning to figure out our new format for the show um, outside of the studio. So I look forward to continuing to bring you great content in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much and stay safe and healthy.